Now batting for the Cubs corner, the host, Anthony Pasquale. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cubs Corner. My name is Anthony Pasquale, and this episode, as always, is presented by our great friends at Coach's Bar and Grill. Coach's is located at 6169 North Northwest Highway on the northwest side of Chicago. Great food, always a great time, and their saying is food made by the neighborhood for the neighborhood, so make sure you guys get out to Coach's. On this edition of the Cubs Corner, we welcome the lead beat reporter for the Cubs on Marquee Sports Network, Tony Andraki, we've had him on the show before. Glad to have him back on. Tony, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me back. And obviously, I'm sure our viewers noticed that there's a little bit of a job title change. You are the NBC Sports Chicago beat reporter for the Cubs this year over at Marquee Network. How's the switch been for you? Yeah, it's been really cool. Um, it, it's it's been a really interesting time for sure to be working anywhere. Um, but just you know, at Marquee, everything's been awesome. I can't say enough about the the people there and how you know. It just it's been an awesome and a rewarding experience to work with people that we haven't seen in person much, you know. And so to to form these relationships has been really difficult. But you know, the communication level is great and everybody's pulling on the same rope so uh it's been a a fantastic experience so far and what is otherwise a been a very very weird and strange year and season yeah i think weird year perfectly captions uh this past weekend for the chicago cubs two huge wins out of the three games against milwaukee putting them now at 28 and 20 with a four game lead in the nl central with i think 12 games left on the schedule so Friday night you lose one nothing in or the bottom of the ninth inning maybe it was the bottom of the tenth um, a walk off one to zero after a nice performance from John Lester that you really needed then Saturday you're down four to nothing or two nothing in the ninth and Jason Hayward hits a three run bomb off of Josh Hader followed by Ildemaro Vargas hitting his first as a Cub Cubs win that one four to two. And then on Sunday, you get a no-hitter from Alec Mills, who wasn't even supposed to be in the rotation to start the year, and you win 12 to nothing. A huge weekend for the Cubs, and I want to get your take on it. Yeah, it was an incredible weekend. That Hayward-Homer, um, really, I think the two things, the Hayward-Homer, the Mills, uh, no-hitter, those are two of the more improbable things I think you would have expected to have happen. Like, Hayward's been great this year, and Mills has shown the ability to dominate for sure. But I think Hayward homering off a lefty with two strikes on him like that was not not something that, that many people would take bets on. Or, um, and if so, the odds would obviously be very high. And then also for Mills, you know, especially going into this season, how many people thought Mills would, would be the second guy to throw a no-hitter? Like, you have the ace of the White Sox, Lucas Giolito, throw the first one of the season. And then the second one is Alec Mills, who before Quintana got hurt, was slated to be in the bullpen and, and kind of the sixth man if, if ever needed. So it, it's a really unlikely, improbable type of story with both of them, but also really cool. I, I think it shows the way that both of these guys have grown. Hayward is having far and away his best offensive season in a Cubs uniform. He just looks so confident, and he's go <clears throat> excuse me, he's going the other way so well, and he's turning on the ball better than we've seen him hitting it with authority to, to every part of the park, but to turn on a hater fastball like that, which is, you know, the hater fastball is one of the best pitches in all of baseball. 
it, it was just incredible. And then for Mills himself, you know, hit a little bit of a rough patch there in the middle of the season, but has been outstanding and, and dominant his last two times out to really help solidify and stabilize that rotation after his long journey. I mean, this is a 28-year-old who was never really a top prospect. He wasn't like recruited out of high school, had to be a walk-on in college, and he just keeps doing it. He just keeps showing up and, and performing with his fastball you know, at 91 miles an hour or less. So I just think it, both stories are, are very, very cool. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Before we touch on Mills a little bit more, the the Hayward homer reminded me a lot of you know the game the Cubs were looking for last season. They had a, a, a pretty hot start. Obviously, the first few series weren't good, but I think they ended up 25 and, and 14 or something like that, 11 games over. And then they played pretty much 500 ball the rest of the year. And they had a few big wins, and, and the message behind them was, this is the win that we're going to build off of. This is the win we're going to turn on. And the one that I can remember is uh, the 10-9 win over the Giants when Bryant hit the homer and Castellanos was pumping his fist around the bases. They said, we're going to build on this win, but they never really did. For some reason, I feel like the Hayward homer off of Hayter followed by the no-hitter is one of those times where you can build off of, and I think they will. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I also think even a little bit further than that, what may have helped precipitate that Hayward homer in that inning was a Thursday night win against the Reds. And Ross said after the fact that it's been a while since he's seen this Cubs team come back from when they're down and put together an offensive rally to to get back and help uh, regain the lead and, and move forward. And then the bullpen holds on from there. And so I think that win helped change things in the clubhouse a little bit. You know, I think it, it was uh, it was a tough weekend at home, or a tough week, sorry. The weather was crappy. It was like those early April games where it was cold and misty and windy and rainy. And, and this game itself, you know, had, had gone really late. It was over an hour rain delay, and then um, it was like a four-hour game itself. But these guys just stayed out there, and they battled. And they went up against one of the best pitchers in the NL, Sonny Gray, Ended up just putting together great at bats. Finally broke through. Got got a big hit with the bases loaded, and uh, and and then yeah, I think it, it can spiral and rebound from there. And Friday night's loss, it was obviously difficult, and they didn't have a run scored in the series against the Brewers until Hayward's homer. But I think that that kind of win against the Reds can can have that belief in this team and can instill that with them. And then of course, like you said, I mean, building on on Hayward, like what a turn of momentum that was. And and we saw it from there because on Sunday you got both Alec Mills, no hitter in the run prevention aspect, but run production. I mean, they scored 12 runs, everybody up and down the lineup hit well. They hit with power. They hit with to all fields. They had great base running plays. They, they did a little bit of everything in that game. And, and this is the first time since like the first two weeks of the season that I think we can say the Cubs look like they're firing on all cylinders right now. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. You know, the whole comeback thing was something I've been thinking about a lot. You know, 2015, the team had a ton of comebacks. 2016, the team was the best team pretty much from start to finish. 17, 18, 19 was more blowing games than coming back and saving games, um, especially from a bullpen standpoint. And 2020, they've had a few games where in the ninth inning they put a rally together but don't have enough. The one that comes to mind, I think, was Detroit. They scored three in the ninth, but didn't get that final run. Rizzo hit one to the wall, deepest part of the park, but couldn't quite get it out. 
games like that, it seemed like this team couldn't get over the hump comeback-wise. But then, like you said, Thursday it puts it in their head, and then they cap it off with a huge comeback win Saturday, followed by a no-hitter on Sunday. I think you're you're right on the head there. Yeah, no, I think so too. And I, I think going into the off day can be impactful as well. And this week especially will be really big because they have two off days, their last two of the regular season. So I think, you know, you carry that confidence over, you go into an off day, everybody gets to rest up, all the little ailing things that they have, you know, wearing on them or, or aching, whatever it might be. And then they got two against a good Indians team, but at home, and then you get another off day, and then you host, a, again, a, another good team in the Twins. But, yeah, I think, you know, at the same time, like, they, they can catch up their breath both physically and mentally. And then also in terms of the division race, because now we got the, the Cardinals and the Brewers going head-to-head for five games early this week. And I think that'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. And, and just in general down the stretch, Cardinals and Brewers play each other ten times over the final two weeks of the season. And they're, they're just, they're going to be beating up on each other, I imagine. And unless one team, you know, overwhelms and goes eight and two or, or nine and one or something, I, it's, it's essentially a win for the Cubs either way, because the, the two teams chasing them in the division are, uh, are definitely going to be behind them. So it's, it's a chance here for the next couple of days and, and this week for the Cubs to essentially put things away in this division going into the final week of the regular season. Yeah, that's a good point as well. I want to touch on the the no-hitter for a little bit here because first one since 2016, obviously an unexpected name getting the no-hitter, but we heard a few cool stories about it. David Ross told Jason Hayward he could sit out with the the Cubs up that much, just trying to give his guy a breather, but Hayward decided to stay in the game. And then on the final out of the game, Javier Baez gets the ground ball and starts celebrating before he even throws it little reminiscent of Bryant's smile in Game 7 of 2016. So I want to ask you, just from talking to Mills, what what was that like for him? How did he feel? How cool was it to, to be a part of that? Yeah, it was really cool. Like you mentioned the Hayward part. I think that was the coolest moment because Mills actually got worked up a bit, and, and he didn't know what to say. He was, you know, he's trying to find the words, and then he was like, it's like, wow, you know, that, that got me a little bit because I, I just think that's, you know, going back to these two guys who the, the cool stories that both Hayward and, and Mills have had uh, and their their career arcs kind of come in full circle here this season. It's been really cool. And that, to see them connected and bonded in that sense was really nice. You know, the fact that Hayward refused to come out of the game, even if it meant getting a, a break and, and ailing, you know, uh, getting some rest for his ailments and stuff, like we said, for going into the off day or staying out there and trying to, you know, being the best outfield defender the Cubs have and trying to be out there to help make sure that Mills gets his moment in history and his place in, in Cubs franchise lore. I think that's just really cool. And it shows, it shows both Hayward's respect within the clubhouse, but then also what guys feel about Mills. You know, he's such a quiet, understated individual but this team really respects and admires him and what he's been able to do. And he's been a very, very important part of this pitching staff for, you know, the last month of last season and then going into this year as well. And potentially down the line, too, it looks like he's a, you know, a rotation piece or a long reliever or something moving forward at the very least. So it, I, the respect that both of those guys get in the clubhouse and how their teammates feel about them. I think it is the coolest aspect that has come out of this weekend in Milwaukee. 
Yeah, I, I'm with you. Absolutely. And, you know, the Cubs started 13-3, and and since then they've actually played below 500 baseball, 15-17 and since that red-hot start. Obviously the pitching was clicking, but the offense was too initially, and I think one of the reasons they went through some of those struggles, and it's been documented a lot, the core four, core five have really struggled at the plate this year. Granted, I'm going to take Wilson Contreras out of this question because for about the last week and a half now, he's really been barreling up baseballs. But you look at Javier Baez batting 203, Bryant hitting barely 200, Rizzo at 205, and Schwarber at 204. Obviously, batting average isn't the best statistic to use here, but it's just one of the many that show that those four guys who the Cubs and, and David Ross has really mentioned, they're going to count on these guys. They've been struggling. Yeah, I think batting average is definitely, um, you look at that, I mean, it's a depressing statistic. If you just look at the Cubs in that regard with all those guys you mentioned. Wilson Contreras, his recent hot stretch has helped bring his batting average about, you know, like normal. But yeah, Javi, Rizzo, Brian, Schwarber, these guys are all hitting right around 200. David Bodie, for all his big hits that he's had, you know, he's hitting just a little bit over 200 as well. And um, it's not where those guys want to be. But that being said, this team has taken walks with with the best of them, and they're they have their moments where they slug a lot too. You know, they they had a little bit of lull, I think, offensively, where they weren't slugging and hitting the ball out of the ballpark quite as much as they would have liked. Um, but yeah, it's it is a it's a it's a season two where they say that they're just going to throw the numbers out the window, and it's going to be all about what the team does and what they're able to do in the win column. And I think that's that's the right way to look at it. It's the right way to approach it because that is true. It, this is going to be about what the team does. And if they're able to win a championship, if they're able to, to move forward, uh, have a deep playoff run, all that kind of stuff. Like, are they able to do that? Can they, can they carry this over? I think that's going to be the, the, the real test and testament of this team, not the batting averages, not the amount of home runs or the OPS. Um, you know, I think it'll be that, that being said, then I think you can spin it in a positive way for the, the guys that are doing well. And you look at the Jason Haywards and the Ian Happ and um, Victor Caratini's, who's had uh, who's had some ups and downs a little bit offensively this year. But you look at those guys and you're like, yeah, you know, I think you did find something, and the, the numbers show it. And you can carry that over into the October and into the playoffs, and and um, and then into next season as well. So. The numbers, I think, are only as beneficial or, or important as much as you put weight on them. And, and I think really only guys like Happ and, and Hayward are going to be the guys that, that put numbers and emphasis on um, on what their statistics look like at this point. Yeah, I, I agree with that, especially, you know, only 60 games, all the statistics, all the numbers are, are weighted differently as it is. And, and, you know, like you said, it's almost a testament to how deep this Cubs team can be when with their arguably four best hitters struggling they're still eight games over 500 and in first place getting great performances out of like you said Hayward Hap Caratini's had a pretty good year Kipnis Bodie I would also throw into to that category as well and for me when I look at those guys like I said Contreras has been hitting as of late Schwarber's really never been an average guy he's still producing in terms of homers and runs And Rizzo, I've learned to just not doubt Rizzo because if there's any guy I want batting at any point, I'd take him. Um, But the two that are most worrying to me are Javier Baez and Chris Bryant because 
it, it just seems like their at-bats aren't as quality as they used to be. Bryant, I know he's had a lot of injuries this year, but the power seems to be almost completely zapped. Although I was encouraged by the, the triple against uh, Williams in Milwaukee. I think that might be a, a stepping point for him. And, and Baez has had a few huge games, but the rest have been not too good. A lot of strikeouts from those two guys as well. Um, what do you think about their two struggles and and potentially turning it around? Yeah, I think it. I think a lot of the Cubs' success rides on those guys. You know that they have struggled to this point. I think you know, as we mentioned, just looking at the statistics show that. But listening to them talk about it, listening to David Ross and um, and Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer as they speak about it, that they, they've said that as well. You know that they. I think Theo said it best just last week on the homestand that. Um, they felt they have felt fortunate to be in first place all year because they're not getting the type of, of production that they would have expected from their big guys, from their star. And and I think that, you know, the biggest thing with that is obviously Bryant and Baez. And Bryant has been hurt. He had the he's missed uh, almost 20 games. Or I think maybe 21 games, I think, is what he's at now between. Um, you know, rest days, and then he had the elbow issue when he got hit with a pitch, and earlier in the year, just a, an elbow, a left elbow issue from swinging. And then, of course, the wrist finger issue from diving when he was in Cleveland earlier in the year. So it, it's been a, another difficult season for Bryant health-wise. With Javi, he's admitted that it's difficult to stay within his approach and continue to to do what he does without getting too over-anxious or over-eager and trying to to force the issue, knowing that his statistics are not where he wants them to be, or what the what anybody would kind of expect from him in a shortened season. And he's admitted that that's difficult. So I think these two guys they found a way to obviously the team has found a way to stay in first place and be an impactful squad, looking at potentially locking up the two seed in the NL. But they've done that without their star players. So I think how Javi Baez and how Chris Bryant performed down the stretch will be huge while also, you know, as we mentioned, Hayward and Hap, while seeing those guys continue and seeing some of the role players like Jason Kipnis, Victor Caratini, Nico Horner, David Bodie, seeing those guys continue to come up with big hits and, and, you know, driving in huge runs in big moments. So I think that that is, is really the key to this Cubs offense moving forward, getting those big boppers, the MVP candidates to, to at least get closer to an MVP level. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think it could also turn this lineup into a really long lineup, which they've pretty much been with their taking their walks, seeing pitches, but with those guys hitting barreling up baseballs, it could make uh, for a very tough day for any pitcher. And Tony, I know you're not a general manager, and nobody really knows how the, the landscape of the economics are going to look in terms of contracts and free agents and all that sort of thing, but do you buy into the theory that a tough year for Baez or Bryant could make it more likely for them to sign an extension with the Cubs? I don't know. That's a good question. It might be. Um, I just think the, the main factor with all that is going to be just the financial landscape of baseball. And I have no idea what that's going to look like. Right. The reality of the situation is, this this COVID-19 pandemic has changed uh, all of sports. It's not even just Major League Baseball. It's changed the financial picture for every professional team out there. And, and you know, fanless environments have obviously impacted every team's bottom line. Um, the free agent pool in Major League Baseball, this will be a very, very interesting offseason. 
all across the board with that. Um, and the Cubs have a few free agents themselves or potential free agents, you know, in like the Lester, Quintana, Chatwood range. So I, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to shake out. I, I think the one thing that's probably the best thing for, for both Baez and Bryant and Rizzo and Schwarber, those guys with free agent contracts coming up, um, and the Cubs and the fans, is that there's another year to figure it out. They don't have to make a move on these guys or sign them to an extension this winter. If they do, that'd be great, but they don't have to because they still have all of 2021 where these guys are under contract and they can continue to, to build in their final year of arbitration, you know, build a team around it, go for another run at a championship, you know, seeing how this year plays out, of course, too. But I think that they have a little bit more freedom and a little uh, flexibility in that regard where they have time to make an, a decision on whether they want to extend these guys, what that price might be, and uh, just in general what the free agent landscape looks like. Yeah, and, and for a team that has marketed their tight budget for about three years now, another year might be a good idea just to see how everything looks, both economics-wise and player production-wise. Um, and, and, you know, I will say that, you know, despite what a lot of fans think, um, that they might be able to only lock up one or two of those guys instead of all of them. They've all made it very clear that they love Chicago, want to play in Chicago, so we'll see how that turns out. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit into the rotation. Um, early on, they were dominant, um, led them to that 13-3 and start, and then they kind of struggled a little bit for a while. I believe from September 1st until Alec Mills's last start, the Cubs only won games started by Hugh Darvish and Kyle Hendricks. Um, so they've struggled to get that 3-4-5. They've faced some injuries, but Alec Mills seems to be rolling right now. Hendricks is figuring his things out. Darvish has been dominant all season long, and Lester finally had a nice start in Milwaukee. That five spot, have you heard anything about Chatwood or Quintana and their progress to returning? Yeah, so they're, they are currently um, in the process of working with the Cubs and Tommy Hadovy, David Ross, and the training staff to figure out when they're going to be throwing bullpens. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I, the the hope is that they'll be able to be back soon. And same with Andrew Chafin, the left-handed veteran reliever that the Cubs picked up uh, just before the trade deadline. He's been throwing as well and has really been um, been ramping it up in bullpen sessions. The Cubs hope that without a setback for those three guys, that they'll get those three pitchers back at some point before the end of the season. You know, I, it's too late to get Quintana and Chatwood stretched out to be true starting pitchers, but they can still be multi-inning guys, whether that's at the beginning of the game or, or the end of the game, um, or, you know, as re- long relievers, whatever it may be. But I think that would be just a, a helpful in general for this pitching staff to get to get more guys coming into the, the mix and veteran guys in, in Chafin has been one of the better left-handed relief pitchers for a while. And then Chatwin and Quintana, we know what they can do in a Cubs uniform and we've seen the success that they've had. So I think that would just, it would just help. It would add a lot more depth and a lot more flexibility for Ross down the stretch. And then as they try to put together their playoff rotation and pitching staff, you know, is a guy like, Chatwood or, or Quintana, um, would they be in the bullpen and what would that look like? You know, you mentioned Lester doing well. So given his October resume, is Lester the Cubs number three starter and after Darvish and Hendricks? And then if so, who, you know, does somebody follow him? Is it 
is that Mills? Is that Chatwood? You know, is Quintana there as a long relief option? Like, it, I, there's a lot of questions that have to be answered with this pitching staff over the final two weeks. But I think it's a really interesting interesting storyline to watch to, to see how that comes about, uh, and especially with those three injured guys, as you mentioned. Yeah, and, and with that, it, it'd be hard for me to, to move Mills out of the starting rotation with the way he's pitching. And we've seen Chatwood have some success in the back end of the bullpen. Quintana potentially as the long inning guy. Maybe that's how it looks. I guess we'll all find out. And another question I have player-wise, do you think there's any chance the Cubs get fireballer Braylon Marquez up to the league this year? It seemed like initially they did not want to. Then they thought about it for a little bit. Now the bullpen's been one of the best in the league in September. But, you know, his stuff has been highly touted out of the the camp and throughout his entire prospect career. Yeah, you know, it's possible. Um, I guess I'm a little skeptical of that. Um, doesn't mean it won't happen, but I, I think with a guy like him, if he was going to come up, I think the Cubs probably would have done that already and mm-hmm. put him in a in a position to to help out the team or to, to just get his feet wet. I mean, this is a guy who has not pitched above a ball and 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 really, you know, just not in the upper levels of the minor leagues and spent such a strange season for for minor league players and for prospects over at the alternate site where they're competing, but they're competing in in not really game like action and just against their own teammates. And working on stuff, and we've seen how it can be a success. You know, Tyson Miller, Jason Adam, Edward Alzale have proven what the Cubs are doing in South Bend could translate to the big leagues. But yeah, I, I do find it, I think it might be a little difficult to, to expect Marquez to come up in the final two weeks of a, of a what is currently a tight playoff race and ask him, that, that's, a, that's asking a lot of a guy. You don't want to ruin his confidence or set him back at all. So I'm a little skeptical that that'll happen because of it. And then especially because what we just talked about, if, if Quintana, Chatwood, and Chafin are all on the verge of, of returning from injury, there's two lefties right there that would go into the bullpen. Plus, they already have Osage and Kyle Ryan, and then currently Rex Brothers. But just even with those three guys coming off the injured list, you'd have to find three spots on the pitching staff and send guys back down to South Bend anyway. So... And I'm not even sure how you find three of those spots. I mean, brothers would be one. And then after that, I'm not even sure. You know, there's no easy answer, I don't right, think. Yeah. So, it all you know, and then you add, if, if you were to call up Marquez, you'd add another roster crunch spot into the mix. It, it, I'm skeptical of it. Um, again, it doesn't mean it won't happen. I just, I, I would think that if it was going to happen, it would have already taken place. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and the roster crunch would definitely be something to consider, especially with playoff rosters being a little bit smaller, I believe, anyway. Um, but you take a look at this bullpen that had been very um, heavily reported and, and visible that they were bad early on. But in September, they they really haven't been too bad Jeremy Jeffress, Rowan Wick seem to be in David Ross's circle of trust. Ryan Tapera has eaten a lot of innings, and I'll knock on wood for the Cubs fans, but Craig Kimbrell has been pretty good as of late as well. Seems to figure out his uh, his command of that fastball mixed with that lethal curveball. So if you get those four guys and you, know, you add some of these other guys we're talking about, Osich and Ryan as some lefties as well in that pen, um, and Dwayne Underwood has phenomenal stuff as well, just to name another one of the guys in that pen. It's actually coming together quite well. 
which for whatever reason seems to always happen by bullpens constructed by Theo Epstein late in the year. Yeah, I think the, the Cubs bullpen, I mean, statistically speaking, has been a top five unit in baseball since uh, like about two weeks into the season. You know, basically ever since that that weekend off that they were supposed to play in St. Louis and were unable to, Cubs have had a top five bullpen in, in just about every category, including they're up near the top of the league in in uh, strikeout percentage, and um, they're right in the middle of the pack with walk percentage. So they've seen a, a precipitous increase in, you know, they're walking fewer guys but striking out a lot more. And as you mentioned, Craig Kimbrell is a huge part of that. He's been pitching very well up late the last 10 outings or so. But, uh, you know, some of these other guys have really come on. You've got Dwayne Underwood Jr. has looked very good lately and is starting to, to earn the trust of David Ross going into some higher levers roles. Uh, Jason Adam has been a revelation coming up from South Bend. He's striking out like 16, 17 per nine innings. He's been very good as well, basically limiting base runners, uh, soft contact. Kyle Ryan has been has turned things around too after, remember, he was like a week late in the summer camp for like process-related issues. And so it took him a little bit to get going, but he's been a lot better. Uh, Rowan Wick and Jeremy Jeffers have been anchors for this bullpen throughout the whole year and then yeah I mean Dan Winkler's numbers look pretty good I, I know he would tell you and the Cubs the same thing that his main issue is just um, walks if he gets those down he's been a, a very reliable guy too for the bullpen so I think Kimball is still the x-factor here you know if, if he's able to get back to continue pitching how he is now and to continue to pitch well in high leverage situations as we saw him have success with that in Milwaukee that will be the, the huge key because if you can get into October knowing that you can trust like Jeffers, Kimbrell, and Wick for sure, and then the way Tapera, Underwood, and, and Adam have been missing bats, and then again, whatever happens with the lefties and those veterans coming off the injured list, I think you can feel really good about this Cubs bullpen actually. They're a, there's a, they're a quiet and an underrated unit that it is, has been a top five group in baseball for about five weeks of play now, which is kind of crazy to think about like you said how they started the season but um but yeah it's 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 remarkable yeah and it's really underrated i think is a perfect word for it because while the cubs offense and the starting pitching staff was struggling for about two weeks there in the middle it was the bullpen keeping them in games allowing them to to tread water before now like we said seems like they're firing on all cylinders so kudos to that bullpen that you know Oh, the bullpen stinks, but they've been better than um, better than advertised and, and better than a lot of people notice. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, um, I think a lot of that credit goes to David Ross as well as he's talked about the that's the toughest part of managing, especially in a weird season, too. There's, there's been a lot of tough things for him this year in a strange year. But uh but for him, it's, it's trying to pick the right spots and the right pockets for these guys to go in and succeed, but also to, to let guys know what kind of roles they're in and what uh, what's best for, for them to get ready, how long a guy might need to get ready, what guys might be good to throw three days in a row or throw two days in a row, where their health is on any given basis, if they have anything nagging injury-wise. There's so many things that go into the, the bullpen equation and it's something that Ross admitted took him a little bit of time to figure out. And basically, the, it's the same time process that we're saying, you know, the early August. Basically, since then, I mean, he, he feels a lot better figuring it out. And the bullpen has responded 
with, again, a top five, top three unit in, in most statistical measures. So uh, I think, you know, it's credit to Ross and credit to Tommy Hadovy and, and um, you know, Craig Driver, Mike Borzello, Chris Young, the, the entire Cubs pitching infrastructure. Uh, and also, I mean, you know, another underrated factor of the Cubs run prevention is Wilson Contreras' pitch framing has been outstanding this year. He's really taken a step forward and, and um, between that and his game calling and Victor Caratini, I, I think the Cubs battery this year has just it's exceeded expectations and been a bright spot of this team. Yeah, and, and that's one thing that, you know, I don't know if you can contribute it to the fact that there are four former catchers on the major league coaching staff or just Contreras' work ethic. Is that being something that he wanted to get better at? And he really has, but the catchers have been, like you said, a big bright spot for this Cubs team. And as we look ahead, Tony, before I let you go, I want to look at the playoff picture a little bit and then do some award predictions. So we'll focus on just the National League because there really hasn't been much uh, interleague play beside in the division. And that American League Central has been really good as well. But in the National League, it looks like the Dodgers are going to be the clear number one. The Braves have a half-game advantage over the Cubs for the two-seed. Cubs at three. Fourth would be the best second-place team, that San Diego right now. Fifth would be Miami, second place in the East. Sixth would be St. Louis. And then the seventh seed would be the Phillies, just a half-game behind Miami. And the Giants, believe it or not, as the eighth-seed coming out of the West. Um, so it, you know, it looks like the Cubs... If the season ended today as the three seed would play the six seed in St. Louis, and if they get up to that second seed, which is entirely possible, they'd likely get the second place team, or the wild card team in the East, which would either be the Phillies or the Marlins. So I think that second seed is probably a little bit more attractive, so you don't have to play the Cardinals. But, you know, I kind of like the first round matchup either way. Yeah, I think the the playoff picture is definitely um, it, it's really interesting. We actually discussed on uh, the Cubs Weekly podcast that we have at Marquis Sports Network. We kind of dove into to that a lot as well, um, which is the playoff picture and and how the Cubs could get the two seed because they're they're battling with the Braves for that. But I think this will be a really interesting playoffs in general because we're looking at the wild card round. You're going to have whatever the higher seed is, is as of right now, and things could change over the next couple of weeks as they solidify these plans. But, you know, those teams would host the three-game series, the best of three, at their ballparks, and then you would go into a bubble from there. And and I think for the Cubs, they haven't hit at home the way that they have wanted to, but they've pitched so well at home. And and it would just be a level of comfort to, to sleep in your own bed, to be in a place where you feel comfortable amid a pandemic and, you know, an environment, a situation, I I think that would be very good for this team uh, come those final days of September as we get into the postseason. So I think that would be good. And then just, yeah, the fact that I don't know if you'd want to miss the Cardinals too, to be honest, because they have such a grind. They don't have an off day the rest of the way. They're playing, uh, what is it, 18 games in the next 14 days, the final 14 days of the season. I, I think you want they're a team that like they could completely run into a wall here and they could have you know a lot of aches and, and pains and injuries or a lack of pitching depth and health going into the the postseason as well so they're almost a team i don't want to say that you want to play um but they're a team that like if you do get them in a draw and the cubs might i don't know that that's such a bad thing so 
and then you know some of these other teams as well like the marlins and and um they're kind of playing with nothing to lose so that that is that could be a bit scary there too but either way i think whatever team the cubs play and match up against if they play their brand of baseball if they all the star power on this team performs the way that they are capable of and these pitchers like Hendricks and Darvish that'll get the first two stars if they go out and perform the way that they're capable of it really doesn't matter who the Cubs play they they should be able to beat them in a three-game series um you know in a best of three so I, I think it's more about the Cubs and what they look like over these final two weeks going into it, the postseason than it really even is in terms of what seed they get or who who their opponent is yeah, I think that's 100% true. Um, it, it really is if they play their brand of baseball, if they play their game and execute, they're going to beat pretty much anyone they play, especially in a three-game series. To me, I think the two-seed might be a little bit more attractive just because the way brackets work, you avoid the Dodgers for longer, and hopefully they get beat before you end up in that series because Dodgers are going to be a tough team to beat for anybody, but they look like the favorites coming out of the National League, at least for me at the moment. But let's take a look at some of the award predictions in the National League. The Cubs have names all over the place here. Um, Let's see, uh, Manager of the Year, Cy Young, MVP, and uh, Rookie of the Year in the National League. I'll give mine first. I think... um, I don't think Ian Happ will be the MVP as much as he's been... uh, the MVP for the Cubs offense and been really good. I think you got to give that award to Fernando Tatis. He's been unreal for the Padres this year. I think with a few good starts, Cy Young could be you Darvish's uh, award to lose. That last start, three-run homer off from Moustakis early on, set back his ERA four-tenths of a point, so that that's going to hurt. Um, but I, I like you Darvish's chances. Um, rookie of the year, there really doesn't seem to be anybody really standing out to me in the National League. And for manager of the year, I, I'm blanking on the name, but um, San Diego's manager, I think, has to be the choice. But David Ross was an attractive option for a while. And if the Cubs really turn it on down the stretch, I could see him getting the nod as well. Yeah, yeah. Chase uh, Tingler in San Diego, I think right. he, he definitely uh, should be at the top of the list right now. And and Dave Roberts has managed the team, but you know, like again, like you mentioned too, with the Dodgers, like they're the class of the NL. They were already a very, very good team and added Mookie Betts to the mix. So, um, you know, not to knock anything that Dave Roberts is doing, um, but I think it's just he is in an easier situation with a star-studded roster that has performed like they're supposed to. So, um, but yeah, with with Ross in his first year, I think he's definitely in the conversation right now about manager of the year and, and Tingler as well and. And I think Mike Schilt deserves a ton of credit as well for navigating the Cardinals when they came back after that 17-day layoff. And Matt Carpenter and some of the other veterans were talking about just how difficult it would be for this team to make the playoffs and how they realized that that was probably an unrealistic goal this year. And yet here they are in second place with two weeks left uh, and a very real shot at, at getting one of the final postseason spots. And I think that's a huge testament to Schilt that veteran leadership there that they have on the Cardinals and and really just impressive overall because they've had such a grinding schedule. So I think, yeah, with that, it it probably comes down to those three in my mind, uh, Tangler, Ross, and Schiltz. And then, yeah, MVP, I don't know how you go against Fernando Tatis Jr. at this point. It just, it seems like it's, it's his to, 
to win with some of these other guys like Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, um, Freddie Freeman, uh, you know, also Marcelo Zuna. I forgot how good he's been for the for the Atlanta Braves. Those guys are up there. I think Ian Happ him cooling off the last week plus here. I think has taken him out of the the equation for right now. But we'll see how these last two weeks go as well. If he turns it back on, and then yes, Cy Young at the moment, I it could be between you know Trevor Bauer and and you Darvish um, and. Jacob DeGrom's in there, of course, too. DeGrom has been incredible. So with Max Fried going on the injured list, I think it's probably those three guys at the moment. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. It, it could be if they have three starts each, each of those guys, three or four starts, we'll see where, where it goes or where it comes from there. Um, but I, I, just, I think it's awesome, like you said, that the Cubs are – in the mix on so many of these awards, these postseason awards coming down the stretch and, and how some of these guys, just a couple different performances here and there team overall team performances can shape the equation and, and the Cubs could potentially take home multiple major awards. Yeah, it would, it would really be great. And I think manager wise, we could even throw Don Mattingly into that conversation for what he's been able to do in Miami. That wasn't a roster that was expected to be good. They had a coronavirus layoff as well. And they're in prime position to make the playoffs. So that's another name to look out for in that regard. But you mentioned you, Darvish. He gets the ball tomorrow on win day, as the Cubs like to call it, when he gets the start um, against Cleveland. Um, I believe Carlos Carrasco is getting the ball on the other side as the Cubs look to uh, separate themselves from the pack in the NL Central and grab the two seed. But for now, that'll do it for this episode. Tony, thanks so much for coming on the show. It was great to have you. No problem. Thank you for having me. Hope to talk to you soon. Good luck with any everything down the stretch. But for now, that'll do it for this edition of the Cubs Corner. For Tony Andracki, I'm Anthony Pasquale. Thank you all for coming to the Cubs Corner.